We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. You know, these are ingredients that even our co-packers, um, our manufacturers in China, when I first, you know, started working with them, they were like, why are you doing this? This is, makes no sense. Your raw goods uh, cost more than retail price of similar product. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. On this episode of The Taste Podcast, I catch up with Jing Gao, the founder of Flyby Jing. Now, Flyby Jing is probably familiar to those who, you know, open the refrigerator and find one of the best chili crisp condiments around. Flyby Jing is everywhere, and I wanted to find out from the founder how she rose from Kickstarter to basically being in every Target, Costco, Sam's Club, Meyer, Albertsons, you name it. Flyby Jing is everywhere, and it was such a cool conversation getting to know the founder of one of my favorite food brands around. I hope you enjoy it. Jinga, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's really, really cool to, to meet you. Um, I feel like your product is in my universe in many places. It's obviously in my fridge. Uh, it's been gifted to me. Um, I've cooked with it. We've written about it. You're doing a book with 10 Speed Press. And honestly, um, you are one of the most exciting food brands happening right now. Thank you very much for saying that. Um, yeah, thank you. And, and I love that. I love just surrounding people. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. And I wanted to first just for our listeners who have not had your chili crisp, I just want to just straight up what exactly is the product that you're most famous for, chili crisp? Yeah. So chili crisp is a Chinese condiment. It's a sort of like a hot sauce, but it's got a lot of layers of flavor, umami flavors, and it's not just about the heat. Um, it's also got uh, mouthfeels, mm-hmm. it's got different kind of textures and crunch. Um, and it can take the form of many different um Styles. There's thousands of styles in China. Um, every family kind of has their own way of making it. I grew up eating, you know, my family's style, which, you know, varied from uh, ones that included fermented fava bean paste to like sometimes even beef jerky, mushrooms. Mm-hmm. There's so many different um, types. And um, when I launched uh, Fly by Jing back in 2018 in the U.S. Um, at the time, I didn't see that wealth of, you know, flavor and styles of Chinese condiments on the market. And so really wanted to um, make that more accessible and and also express something that was uniquely my own because mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a kind of a longer backstory to how I got to here, mm-hmm. but I um, was born in Sichuan, grew up all over the world, uh, then settled in Canada, um, and then spent my 20s in Asia where I started to reconnect with my roots and my cultural identity, um, largely through food. And, uh, you know, trained in classical Sichuan cooking, but wanted to express something that was also uniquely 
my own because I didn't yeah. know anyone else like me who was born in Sichuan, grew up in like eight different countries and, you know, is now living in America. So I wanted to root my flavors and tradition, mm-hmm. but create something that was modern. And so, um, you know, the Fly by Jing Chili Crisp was born um, and it was really a base layer of flavor in a lot of my cooking because I, ha- I had a restaurant in Shanghai. Yeah, and we'll go- I'd like to get into your professional yeah. re- cooking career and some of the study you had in Chengdu and in Sichuan. And I want to get into some of the Sichuan classic dishes that we know so much. But let's go back and talk about, let's actually zoom out and talk a little bit about this chili crisp universe we live in. You launched in 2018. Now, it seems there are a lot of chili crisps out there. It is like very, very, very crowded. How do you assess this? I know you were like one of the first. Like what what, what happened? Did we just all of a sudden wake up and realize this is one of the greatest foods in the world? <laughs> so before Fly by Jing launched, there was a kind of stalwart brand from China uh, called Lagama. Lagama That's, yep. That was in the market, and that was the only one that was in the market. Um, and it was definitely still only found in Asian grocery stores. And you'd have to really know your way around an Asian grocery store and know what it was. Iconic packaging. A woman is on the packaging. Yeah, yeah, which is a real person. Um, she is known as the godmother of spice in China. She's from Hunan province, which is a different province um, from Sichuan, and uh, where they're also known for eating spicy food food. Um, And so she's had her company for decades in China and has built a billion dollar business and is highly successful. But at the time, you know, in 2018, which is only four years ago, um, mainstream America did not know about Chili Crisp. Even people who were really in the know, like foodies, did not know about Chili Crisp. I would say something happened. It's called the pandemic. And something else (laughs) that happened is we got bored with cooking, Mm, right? We got bored and we needed some spice. We needed some flavor. Here you are, so well packaged, such a cool brand, and obviously delicious, a delicious product. But how did the pandemic like open us all up to yeah. your product? Yeah. So, um, you know, I initially launched in 2018 with a Kickstarter, and that ended up going somewhat viral, especially within like kind of the food communities, right? And it became one of the highest funded craft food projects on the platform. And that allowed me to basically create my first big batch at scale, move to LA where I'm now based from Shanghai, where I had a restaurant and Mm. like a whole life for 10 years. Um, And thousands of people backed that Kickstarter without ever having tasted the product. And I think it was because I had a, you know, clear mission, you know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to you know, uh, rewrite the false narratives about Chinese food, that it can be the highest quality flavors um, and uh, and that it can command that value. And I think so many people bought into it. And so people came around us for our mission and then they tasted the product, which we launched, um, oh. well, we shipped in the end of 2018. And that became kind of our initial customer base. At the time, I say our, I was one person. I was doing everything myself. <laughs> That's amazing. You were I one person as a Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't wow. know anybody in America. I moved here without knowing anybody. And, you know, I, I didn't have funding either. So I had to bootstrap the company. I relied on our initial customer base of, you know, um, our, our uh, brand ambassadors, right, to, to spread the word. And so they did. And it just was very organic, kind of, you know, a large, you know, 30% kind of growth month by, uh, month Jeez. on month. And then the pandemic hit. So I had just 
you know, I mean, the company really started in 2019 in the spring when I launched our Shopify website. Um, it was only direct to consumer because I didn't have any connections with retail. That was definitely my first uh, experience with Fly by Jing was yeah. through that D2C kind of Shopify account. But now you're yeah. fast forward, you're in 1000 Target stores. Yeah. You're going to fly out to Minneapolis after this interview to yeah. meet with Target. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty cool. Um, but during pandemic, uh, everything changed. So it started out really uncertain. Um, you know, pandemic also um, was like the period of time that was really scary to be an Asian American or an Asian person in this country. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty whether trade relations between China and U.S. would break down. I produce everything in China in my hometown. Um, everything's sourced there. The, the, there's um, kind of a artisanal approach to the crafting of the sauce that is that has been done there for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years. And like, it's not possible to make outside of my hometown, really. And so I um, was not sure what was going to happen. Um, there was kind of this crescendo of criticism and just people, mm. you know, telling us that there's no place for a product like ours, that it's way too expensive for Chinese food because really? Chinese food doesn't deserve to be priced high. Well, you shut down those haters. I yeah. mean, you really did. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, it was it was quite scary. However, at the same time, we saw our sales rise. And I think, you know, to your point, people were cooking at home for the first time. They were realizing that they might need some help, you know, bringing high quality flavors um, home and in, in a convenient, easy way. And since the beginning when we launched, we've always talked about Fly by Jing as a condiment that you can put on anything. You know, yeah. you put it on anything like you would hot sauce. It's not just reserved for Chinese cooking. Oh, yeah. I mean, like it's like sauteed vegetables. You can put it on a sandwich. You can put it in with dairy. Pizza. Pizza, cheese, it's great with cheese. So I actually, have you had it on ice cream? No. So tell me, let's go there. It's absolutely, doesn't make any sense, but it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. It does make perfect sense. Yeah. (laughs) Great. And it's delicious. Um, Wow. So I first saw Chili Crisp on ice cream on the internet in China, this uh, ice cream shop in Chongqing in Sichuan, near Sichuan. Um, They they had it as like a marketing (gasps) gimmick. And I was like, holy shit, my mind was blown. Yeah. And I tweeted about it. Um, that was actually before we launched. And I ended up launching with uh, parties in New York and L.A. where I partnered with local ice cream shops. Oh, and we cool. served Chili Crisp ice cream sundaes. And that really went viral. It was like in the New York Times. It was in um, Food and Wine and all these different magazines. And it really, I think the effect of it was that we gave people people permission to just make the condiment their own yeah they're like you can put it on ice cream let me see what else i can it it opens up so many uh avenues when you say it's okay to put it on like vanilla or chocolate ice cream now okay like let's you there's a special sauce pun intended to your brand you're telling me it's blowing my mind it's like sinking in that you were one person when you launched the kickstarter do you have a background in marketing? Because it feels to me you have a an ability to figure out what people need and how to actually crystallize your brand and get it out there into the right. I mean, what? How do you articulate your like your point of view? Are, are do you do you study marketing or is it just like by instinct and feel? I think um, a lot of it is instinct. Um, I and just being able to tell a story that resonates, and I think that comes from having a distinct point of view. Yeah. Um, 
but I did start my career at P&G in brand management. And I think that was great training ground because as a brand manager, you're kind of like a mini entrepreneur because you're kind of in charge of a brand for the yeah. market and you pull in different functions to help you kind of, you know, gain gain share. Um, I worked on Gillette and CoverGirl and that was my first job out of college. Um, and then I went into tech mm-hmm. and I tried, um, you know, tech and business development and sales. And so I think along the way I was always trying to gather the skills to help my help me you know create my own business absolutely I knew that I was entrepreneurial I knew I wanted to do something my my on my own and have it be a form of creative expression um, I didn't realize it was going to be food um, interesting but when I moved to Shanghai for a tech job I started to peel back the layers reconnect with my roots and do so through food um, it was kind of the first time in my 20s when I realized just how much of myself I had kind of buried all over the years, yeah. living in so many different countries, code switching constantly, trying to blend in. I was in Germany, England, Austria, France, Italy, Canada, um, all before the age of like wow. you know, high school age. And, and you must have experienced racism yeah, and, and of course, struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's... And just being, you know, being not seeing a representation of yourself anywhere and feeling like um, you had to blend in in order to survive. And so being in Asia in my 20s, that was when I started to really work on that. And, you know, um, food became a way for me initially to connect with my family, um, get to know this 5,000 year culinary heritage that was so rich and complex and yet so misunderstood. And, um, what I was learning was incredible. And, and, you know, China is as big as a continent. It's not just this monolith that we think it is, no. right? It is as big as Europe. Um, and the cuisines and the regional cuisines are as varied as different countries in Europe. And so it was just fascinating to at first just eat and explore and then learn about how all of these cuisines have evolved yeah. over thousands of years. And so I started a blog. I started writing about it. I started to kind of shine light on that. Mm-hmm. And that led me to, you know, taking um, celebrity chefs around China when they would come. Like I took Andrew Zimmern around on mm-hmm. his show, Eddie Huang. And um, eventually I realized there's something that I, I, I kind of found my belonging there. And I was like, there's a place for me in this world. And I think I can make an impact in some way. So I ended up quitting my job and starting a restaurant in Shanghai. Yeah, in Shanghai. Let's go back to Chengdu, though. I want to hear yeah. about what food was like growing up. And I also want to hear about how your chili crisp is made in China. I had no idea that it was actually all produced in China. But first, mm-hmm. growing up, what, what's on the table? And Sichuan cuisine is 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 like a, it's there's myth there's legend in the states you know mm-hmm. we we love mapo tofu and we we talk about hot pot and we talk about some of these dishes that are iconic but what was it like for you growing up yeah so i was only there till i was 5 okay. and um at that point my dad was a he was a nuclear physicist turned professor and we moved to germany with his job mm-hmm. but before that um you know i just remember the flavors like you know every food obviously is flavorful, but Sichuan in China is particularly known for their flavor profiles Yeah, and the way that the chefs are able to combine um, a, a limited set of ingredients and create a lot of different flavor profiles. There's more than like 23 or so, wow. and they keep kind of inventing more. And um, so mala, for example, is one of the is probably the most famous, but one of the 23 flavor profiles, which is uh, spicy and numbing. 
So I just remember the depth of flavor in anything from, you know, like high-end restaurants to like hole-in-the-wall uh, noodle shops and fly restaurants. And so fly restaurants is For your name, what, which is not just like the animal, the fly, but yeah. actually has a, has a real has reason. Has a meaning, yeah. yeah. So um, it's, it's our namesake and it is a, f- a type of restaurant that's famous in Chengdu and is only found in Chengdu that is uh, hole-in-the-walls that are so delicious they're set to attract people like flies. And <laughs> I just love that energy. I love the, the, the flavors. And so I wanted to evoke that in, in my, in my food. And so that's why we, I love, yeah, the fly by is like, clearly it, it poses a question because we think flies are not really associated with fruits in like the Western culture, but obviously in Chengdu, it's a positive mm-hmm. sign. So let's talk about how you actually make the chili crisp in China. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're making it and you said there's a 5,000 year tradition for some of these, the ways these cuisine, this cuisine is being prepared and the way this, this very fundamental condiment is being made. How are you making it there? Yeah, so um, at the core of it, Chili Crisp is dried chilies, and there's many, many different varieties of chilies. And all uh, in Sichuan, they they pride themselves on kind of selecting chilies based on not just heat, but uh, flavor, the way it looks, the color, the fragrance, um, and so many other elements, right? And so you can blend a lot of different chilies to achieve something very unique. And mm-hmm. so you take the dry chilies and then at the very basic level of of it, you just add hot oil mm-hmm. on top and you get chili oil. But you can also add in aromatics, spices, uh, s- flavorings, and so you can kind of really make it your own. And um, there's obviously technique as to like mm-hmm. the temperature of the oil because you want to draw out the flavor and the essence of the ingredients without but like not burning, burning it and scorching it, right? Exactly. Which is a big problem with astringent oils. You you try to make chili oil at home and you know bless people for trying to write <laughs> a chili crisp recipe. There are many out there. We've published them on Taste. No effing way I'm going there. I ain't trying to make my own chili crisps. I'm sorry. Yeah, it sounds really easy. Just pour the oil on the chilies. Sure. But it's actually, um, there's a lot more to it. A lot more to it. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about where this can go. Because I think about social media and your brand. Because are you thinking back in like 2018, 2017, when you're thinking about making chili crisps, there is like no product that is more Instagrammable than a, than a chili crisp spoon being dripped over vegetables or ice cream that is like truly made is like the most delicious photo visual that you can get. Did you think about that at all? Definitely. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it, it really does lend itself really well to beautiful food photography and just really like mouthwatering imagery. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and, you know, starting out when we did, people didn't know what it was or what you can eat it on. No. Um, and so there was a lot of education that had to occur and um, a lot of just encouragement to just try it on anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, yeah, I'm really, really glad to see that people are embraced, have embraced the condiment. And, you know, we get fan mail all the time. People telling us the latest thing that they've discovered. It also tastes good on what you got to <laughs> give me one that's like. Like, wow, like um, that was cool. There's a lot of like sweet things um, like uh, cookies, yeah. cake um, and, uh, and and yeah, and desserts like that, which are pretty uncommon. Um, 
I mean, the thing that I hear about the most is probably eggs in every form. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, scrambled, fried, whatever, name it. It's it's good with chili crisp. Um, yeah, I mean. It sounds, I, I'm thinking just for me, like chili crisp odino, like a salted caramel pudding with chili crisp. Oh, yeah. To me. That's putting like two Ooh. things that I love together. Yeah, that's like sounds like really a good. crown of chili crisps on a budino in like mm. a like a chilled like ramekin. Oh man, <laughs> thinking about doing that. But like ten thousand targets, like this brand has expanded and it's grown. You as the entrepreneur, as the founder, how do you control? What's the QC? What's quality control for you? How do you make sure every single jar lands in the best way possible. I mean, we're talking about oil and seeds and chili. It's like not probably not easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Food manufacturing is extremely difficult. And um, we take for granted a lot of the things that we see on store shelves. Um, But, you know, it's made of ingredients that come from plants and, you know, which are affected by the weather and the, you know, the topography and the, the climate. And so, For absolute consistency and a lot of like the kind of big box brands that we see, a lot of the times the there's a reason why it kind of tastes watered down. You know, it is um, they need consistency and therefore, you know, they control the environments where these things are grown. And oftentimes there's um, artificial additives and, you know, preservatives put in the product. For us, it was really important to have an all natural product with none of that artificial stuff. And yeah, but it is, you know, challenging because from batch to batch, like from season to season, you know, things change. And yeah. the um, chili harvest chili in harvest. 2023 maybe point six of the yield of mm. 2022, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we're still a very small company. We're definitely not, you know, like a um, a giant like Kraft Heinz or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, but uh, so we, you know, we have um, very strict controls of our sourcing. Some of our ingredients are actually quite rare and they're so, um, so rare and coveted that they are, you know, they used to be reserved only for the emperor, for example, wow. which is um, our tribute pepper, which is our Sichuan pepper that is such a high grade of quality that it's known as tribute pepper, given as a tribute to the emperor. Um, and so, you know, these are ingredients that even our co-packers, um, our manufacturers in China, when I first, you know, started working with them, they were like, why are you doing this? This is, makes no sense. Your mm-hmm. raw goods uh, cost more than retail price of similar products. There's Wow. That's insane. Yeah, well, like Langa Ma is like at a certain price point and then you're at a different price point. Yeah. And yeah. there's an obvious like we're, difference. Like we're 5X their price even Ex- in China. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. And so I used you- to sell it in China. So you sell uh, Fly by Jing in China? Used to. Used now to. Um, it's really it's really ironic that my friends in China can no longer get my products because it's only <laughs> shipped to the U.S., but hopefully we will Sounds be like you need China to have like a day. capsule collection or like a pop-up of yeah. your product in China. I feel exactly. like that would be pretty dope. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're in Costco. 
like you are in Costco and you're talking about being small, but then you're in Costco. So, wow. <laughs> well, Costco actually has a really um, great sourcing program where they highlight a lot of small upcoming cool. companies and local companies. Um, and that's what, you know, makes Costco so special and magical, I think, is when you go and you have this discovery moments. Um, so we're not in every single Costco. We're definitely in uh, most of the regions. Uh, right. We started out just with one in L.A. Mm-hmm. And it was doing so well that um, different regions regions have wanted it. And now we're talking to Costco Global. Um, So it would be really fun to go into China through Costco in Shanghai. (laughs) No, definitely. We've written about Costco and and exactly as you're saying, how there is like a regional specialty kind of area in Costco's around the country. Mm -hmm. So you are now selling dumplings. Mm -hmm. So there's like a a definitely like not just chili crisp mentality. How do you R&D dumplings, frozen dumplings? It seems extremely hard. Yeah, so that came about through during the pandemic when mm-hmm. I started seeing that people were getting much more used to ordering food online and uh, particularly frozen. Frozen really took off during the pandemic. And I've always seen just such a gap in the frozen aisle for high quality products yes. of any kind, uh, let alone Asian no. food. And um And, you know, in in my days of running my restaurant and my underground supper club and doing all my pop-ups, I've probably folded thousands of dumplings. And every time, you know, it's it's super um, it's super rewarding when people love it. But it's also so much work and there's no it's like it is it is a thankless Thankless is the word I was (laughs) just going to say when you've got 1,000 wrappers Mm -hmm. there and you've got and people just pop it in their mouths and they have no idea how much work went into it and uh, so I've always dreamed of actually um, being able to make um, have frozen dumplings just at the ready and so uh, managed to make that work during the pandemic and we launched at the end of last year and it's mm-hmm. been very successful um, we have three skews right now it's a soup dumpling uh, two other pan fried dumplings and um, you know a lot of people have said that it's like comparable to like restaurant quality oh, and you know, so it's been really uh, a great journey to be able to bring that. The XLB Shalambao, getting those into the frozen form and actually making them taste like soup dumplings. Is there a bit of a an ask for the consumer to, to make them or do you just like put them in the microwave? Um, so the typical way is by steaming. Yeah. And steaming is actually um, quite you know, it's it's quite convenient. Like, you know, if you if you have like a wok or whatever, mm-hmm. just put some water in and that's it. As long as you have a lid, you can do that. Um, however, um, pan frying also is a good option. Yeah. And uh, I've seen some people put in the air fryer, which is even easier. Well, shout to the air fryer. I mean, you got to give the air fryer <laughs> some, some, some credit. It's yeah. changing the way we cook. Um, Jing, I want to ask you about traveling to China. We just had my buddy Lucas Sin on the show, and he is embarking on a, a journey to China. He's going to mm-hmm. be there for a couple of years. He's from China. He's from Hong mm-hmm. Kong. But I would like to know you from you, like, how do we as Americans travel in China? I think there's obviously a ton of bullshit written about China in our press, and we we, we certainly, Lucas and I talk about this, we certainly are not covering um, many aspects of the culture. And, like, as a tourist, I would love to go to China, but I would like to know from you, like what's the best way to tackle that? I mean, right now it's quite difficult to yeah. travel there. COVID restrictions, COVID lockdowns. restrictions, yeah. um, quarantines, and such. I haven't been in since 2019, so quite a long time now. Um, and I originally moved to LA so that I could go there 
very easily. So I can't wait to go back. Um, it's been really hard to do product development, as you can imagine. We literally sh- like FedEx packages back and forth wow. until we get to a good product. Dang. Um, but uh, once it opens back up, and I'm sure next year, um, hopefully it will, um, it's, it's, um, it's an incredible place. I think um, there are places where you can get like a China light experience, like, for example, Hong Kong, mm-hmm. Taiwan. Singapore, um, but if you go to mainland, you know, the, the main cities that are pretty easy to navigate for um, someone who doesn't speak Chinese is Beijing and Shanghai, but Chengdu is actually yes. really rising in the, in the ranks. And it's, um, so Shake Shack, who I did a collab with recently, <laughs> they actually just opened their first Chengdu Shake Shack, um, which is super exciting. Fun. And uh, so Chengdu, so all the cities are so different. Beijing is the capital. It's There's like this um, thousands of years of history there. You've got the modern buildings uh, mm-hmm. right next to like the thousand-year-old hutongs, which is like the old homes. And then you've got, um, and it's the capital. So, you, you know, there's a concentration of like the best of the best in every industry, you mm-hmm. know, food and um, the arts, culture. And then you've got Shanghai. Shanghai is quite like open and it's always has been. There's been a lot of... Um, folks from different cultures that have settled there over mm-hmm. the last hundreds of years. So um, it's a real trade center in China. It seems yeah. like that's like the way that I perceive it as like also like there's a lot of culture in Shanghai in a different mm-hmm. way, like more of a pop culture. Totally. Like entertainment more industry. of a collision mm-hmm. of global cultures. So you have the French concession where yeah. the French had settled at some point. Yeah. And so the architecture has like that French vibe. You've got the British kind of area by the Bund. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of different influences and the food is reflective of that as well. And then you have Chengdu, which is a lot more, you know, inland and insular, but it was along the Silk Road. So a lot of influences as well. Um, And the climate is super different. It's surrounded by mountains. It's misty. It's kind of humid. um, And and it's all about uh, the the lifestyle is very leisurely in in Chengdu. Um, It's also the birthplace of pandas. And that's where you go to see the pandas. Um, But people are just all about, you know, drinking tea, eating delicious food, playing mahjong, enjoying their lives. Yeah, it sounds like the best life. I've always wanted to go to Chengdu. It seems, I mean, Eddie, Eddie Wong is, 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 posted up there and written about it in, in various forms. And, um, to me, that's my real, uh, real goal is to make it there. And I was, uh, going to write a story about Baiju back in the day, which mm-hmm. is made there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Are there brands, Jing, that you look at and say, I would love to be there in five to 10 years? Oh, yeah. You know, so our motto is our mission is really to evolve culture through taste. And I think we're just getting started. Um, we have expanded palettes um, with our chili crisp. We um, have our zhong sauce, which is another really popular condiment of ours. And I think the beauty of flavor is that it is so um, spreadable through through condiments, right, through sauces. And so we're definitely a condiment brand. We, you know, would love to be in every kitchen. One day we want to be mm-hmm. right there next to your Heinz Cholula, your product. Heinz ketchup, your, you know, sriracha. So um, so that's our ambition. And, um, you know, I think the dumplings even that we launched were really kind of we see as a vessel for mm-hmm. people to enjoy our sauces more easily. What do you think about the when you when people say like the new sriracha? Does that give you what, what's the feeling inside when you're like Fly Beijing is the new sriracha? 
Um, I love that. I think that <laughs> that is, uh, I mean, Sriracha is iconic and, um, you know, for what they have built at, as like a real household name in, in 20 years, it's really impressive. And, you know, if we can be in, in that league, then I'd be very honored. Let's talk about some of the other founders in AAPI world and in, in the AAPI space. I feel uh, there's uh, a community and you've said that you've you've collaborated and done retreats and, and been um you know, together as, as almost a family, what are some brands that we should be looking at, um, you know, that you really admire and you're, you consider colleagues? Yeah. So, um, I just came back from a retreat upstate New York with a number of other founders in this space. Um, so that included, uh, Danny from Boxu, which is mm-hmm. a Japanese snack subscription box, um, who also have like a marketplace now where you can order groceries. Um, Sarah from Nguyen Coffee Supply was great. Vietnamese robust. So coffee. good. Love that. So Love good. Sarah. She's amazing products. She just launched it ready to drink as well yep. and going into retail, which is exciting. Um, the Kevins, there's two Kevins and both co-founders of uh, Imi, which is a healthy keto ramen brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Gainful, which is um, a personalized supplements brand, a keto cereal brand called Schoolyard Snacks. So there's just so many and, you know, uh, and others that couldn't make it this weekend, mm-hmm. but we are looking to do this much more often. We find that we are each other's best support, best you know, help throughout uh, our journeys because we go through so, so much um, similar things. Um, so like the Omsom sisters. Kim and Vanessa, Kim awesome. Kim and Vanessa. Yeah. Um, you know, Lucas is a good friend of mine as yep. well. He also has a chili oil. Um, and, uh, and you know, Sandro from uh, Sanzo, um, kind of Asian, you know, Oh, my gosh. Waters. Can we talk about Sanzo for a minute? That Jeremy <laughs> Lin uh, mm. exclusive drop that I got, they sent me it. Um, Sanzo is the most delicious beverage, sparkling water juice that you could ever find. Mark that brand. It <laughs> yes, is so delicious. Absolutely. I love it. I love their um, yuzu flavor. I think that's my favorite. I love the yuzu as well. Okay. So Jing, you're working on a cookbook right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell us about the book? I, I don't want to like spoil any any fun or surprises. Um, I know it's coming out in a little bit, but what, what can you say? So it's coming out next year. It'll be my first cookbook. And it's... Um, you know, I think uh, it is very much focused on um, my personal story of kind of building Fly by Jing and through the lens of Chili Crisp, right? And uh, so there's a lot of, there's 85 recipes, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. versatile ways that you can use Chili Crisp, um, but not just Chili Crisp. It is very much the um, dishes and flavors that, uh, you know, informed fly by Jing as an underground supper club when it first started. So it's rooted in tradition again and in like very specific um, place and ingredients, but it is modern. And, you know, for example, we have um, a combination of like, I've always felt like Sichuan flavor really translates well on so many other cuisines and vessels, right? So when I was doing fly by Jing as a pop-up, I had collaborated with uh, Italian chefs, with Mexican chefs. And so there's a lot of these elements that are just, it's really at the end of the day, just about good flavors. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, so hopefully people will find something uh, comforting, but also new. Yeah. I can't wait to have you back to talk about the book. It's with 10 Speed Press and it's next year. Um, So I I do need to ask you uh, to conclude. We asked all guests on the Taste Podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline or the burden of budget, meaning 
All the money in the world is yours to write this book. You're working on one now, but moving forward into the future, what would that book be? I would love to do a book that's dedicated to um, preserving the recipes of fly restaurants Mm. in Chengdu because you know, as Chengdu has grown so tremendously over the years and and modernized, um, a lot of these fly restaurants are starting to become hard, harder and harder to find. And so, um, you know, if uh, if we weren't able to like travel there right now, like I would be there um, doing that book. But because we can't, I'm working on this first, this first book, book, which is, is a cookbook exactly. about your story, and then you could go there with a travel photographer. Yeah, and... exactly. It is such a special, unique. Uh, culinary culture in Chengdu. So I'd love to just like really, you know, put it on the pedestal. I'd I love to go see deserves. Chengdu and and your and where your your chili crisp is made because I'm such a fan. I really am. Thank you, Jingao. Thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.